With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Outkick the Culture. It's Jason Martin here with you yet again to talk pop culture. A lot of television to get to this week. You can follow me on Twitter as always at jmartoutkick. You can email me at jmartclone at gmail.com. And at least this week you could have found me at the Ryman pretty much any night as I saw Jason Isbell twice. And tonight we'll be seeing Chris Stapleton at Bridgestone. Next Wednesday, I will see Spoon in Memphis and then Bon Iver at the Ryman before the end of the month. And I've already seen a couple of shows before the ones I saw this week. So yeah, a lot of music for me this month and a lot of good music that came out today. Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile's album, finally, a lot of sea lice came out today. I've been listening to the two tunes that were pre, you know, pre-order bonuses, ones that they had already released now for... They released Continental Breakfast last week, but for about a month or maybe over a month, they've had Over Everything out. Over Everything, I listen to more than any other song this summer. Listen to it all the time. I like Continental Breakfast almost as much. This is an album to pay attention to. I'm a big Courtney Barnett fan anyway. Guess what? I'll be seeing them together on November the 9th at the Ryman Auditorium. I might just want to start having my mail sent there. That album came out today. You want to check it out. Also, a huge Beck fan. If you know me, you know that. Went to both days a few years ago when he came. Finally got to see him. He was one of those guys on my bucket list. He's been a top five artist for me for a long, long time. His new album is out today. Haven't gotten to hear it yet, so I'm not going to really comment on it as of now, and I haven't heard the pre-orders. I heard the, the Barnett Vile stuff, and you know, a lot of times when I pre-order an album, I don't listen to the tunes that are released because I just want the entire experience when it comes out. I don't know if you're like me, but that generally works for me. Like If, you know, if, an, if an artist has an 11-song album and they put out four of them early, by the time the album comes out, there's only seven new songs, and you're hearing the four you've already heard interspersed between, and I think it wrecks the experience. The National, who, you know, Radiohead I've always claimed to be my, if I had a number one, they're the ones that have been number one for me forever. I had a little bit of a stint there with Fish at the end of my high school career, but Radiohead, since pretty much since the Benz came out, has been consistently number one. I would argue that, you know, I, I thought that the last record was very, very good, King of Limbs, it never really stuck with me the way that I wanted it to, but I still listen to that stuff all the time. But I would argue now that the National is either tied or or maybe even advanced them just a little bit. The National hasn't put out a bad album, first of all, but their last three have just been so good, and that's really when I discovered them. I heard a little bit of Boxer. I had not heard Alligator until I heard High Violet, but High Violet's when I really fell in love with them. And then... Uh, obviously the, the record that came out before the new one, Sleep Well Beast, which is the new record, is just phenomenal. And those guys, I know they're touring. They haven't come around here in years. I did get to see them the last time they were here. Just a tremendous show. I'm hoping they come around. Sleep Well Beast is such a good album. It's a good album that's not going to make you too happy. The National's not really uplifting music, but God, it's such good stuff. And there seems to be a little bit of a technology tinge to it, almost like an encroaching technology tinge to it, similar to Kid A in terms of they're sort of fearing certain things. There's almost a little bit of a Philip K. Dick vibe to it, which goes with Blade Runner. Let's talk about Blade Runner real quick. I am not at all surprised that the film, I wouldn't call it a flop, but it certainly was no success at the box office. Didn't even do $40 million. Obviously, the budget was high. 
for Blade Runner. But in my review, I said I don't know that this movie needed to exist. I gave it high marks, as did most critics. But what you found was it was mainly an older male audience that went and saw this film. They're the ones that saw the original 35 years ago. And unlike Star Wars and Indiana Jones and The Godfather and some of the great trilogies of the past, I, t- I mentioned The Godfather is kind of different, obviously, than a... Uh, in Indiana Jones or Star Wars or Star Trek or something like that, Blade Runner is still kind of a cult thing. Cult doesn't mean widespread. It can mean widespread, but a lot of times it just means something that has a diehard fan base, a diehard following, and there are people that swear by Blade Runner, but most moviegoers today haven't even seen the original. So what was the draw other than the leads? Well, the reviews are good, but... It's not an easily approachable film. I said that in the review. I said it's really good, but I might not ever watch it again, just like most of Denis' uh, movies. I just crushed his name there, but I was also losing my voice for a second, so deal with that. It's just not that easily viewable. And if you don't know the story, it can still be just kind of a bit of a slog, and it's a two-hour and 45-minute movie. You know, I'm the guy, and I feel like there are more people out there like me today than not like me. I'd rather just go watch Lego Batman for an hour and 45 minutes and laugh and have a good time with any audience at any time than be subjected to something that dark. So in that way, Mad Max didn't work for me. This worked for me a lot better, but it might not have if I hadn't seen Blade Runner in years. And in what I had did or what I did instead was I watched Blade Runner the day of. Like two, three hours before we had the media screening, I watched it and I fell asleep during it because it is a very moody slow-moving film. Dan Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter expressed this in a way that I couldn't possibly agree with more. I respect Blade Runner and respect Blade Runner 2049 more than I liked either one of them. It's not a film I love. I gave it an A- minus because it deserved it, but it's not It's it's not going to be on my list. It's, it's not one I'm going to own. It's not one I'm going to rent again. The original Blade Runner I've seen for the last time, I promise you, and that's one and a half times. So... Again, not really surprised that it's not taken off at the box office. It's just not something that jumps out to a mainstream audience because the nostalgia of the original, it's just so rooted in the past. So this shouldn't be too much of a shock, I don't think. Not totally shocking, but better news is Mr. Robot is back on USA. And if you read... Me at OutKick over the past couple of years, I've reviewed uh, I reviewed the first season and then I did episode-by-episode episode recaps last year. And, you know, I said a lot of nice things last year because there were a lot of really good episodes and some, perf- some just knockout performances. But it was uneven and the finale left a lot of people underwhelmed, including me. It seemed like Sam Esmail really wanted to play tricks with his audience and mind-bend with them instead of telling something that made any kind of sense or had any grounding. But it was still trying to exist on a real plane. Which brings us to season three, which I will also be covering weekly at OutKick. I wrote the review for the premiere. It came out yesterday. Finally, they are embracing the idea that this is not real. That this is a work of fiction. And not just fiction, but science fiction. When they brought in Angela Moss and had her buy into White Rose and the idea that history can potentially be rewritten, that clocks can be turned back, that her mom could still be alive, that Christian Slater's Mr. Robot character, the father, Alderson, could still be alive, 
that so many of these things could be righted without revenge, just absolutely going back in time. And I don't know whether or not this is going to turn out to be a fantasy or hopefully not another dream sequence because I can't take another one of those. But if they just continue down this pathway of this Mr. Robot meets the Matrix thing, I'm all in. Because the acting has always been stellar. Rami Malek's performance is one of the best of the decade in both seasons. And it's not an easy role to play. Portia Doubleday has come so far from the Angela Moss we met in the first season to the Angela Moss that we met here two nights ago during the premiere. And she's now become the second most important player on the entire series. It was Darlene last year. Now... It's Angela Moss, who is either working on both sides or is actually following through with what her friend, Elliot, not the non-friend Mr. Robot, had told her. It seems like she's playing both sides because she, like everyone else on this show, believes they're in control when they're not. The only person that doesn't believe that is Darlene, who sadly, again, is left in the dark, even in the Red Wheelbarrow restaurant with the sit-down with Irving and welcome Bobby Cannavale to the festivities last seen on vinyl killing it on a show that just didn't kill it unfortunately but his he was great so he's in as irving the used car salesman by day that also works for the dark army and as he sits down with elliot and elliot tells him look it's time to dismantle this plan takes all the blame on this realizes everything he fought for was a sham and these people are not to be believed or trusted or confided in or anything that it's all marketing that everybody's out to make a buck that even the idea of the mask, the F Society mask, it's all being mass produced to make money. That capitalism is not going to be defeated. That Adam Smith is not to blame. That the deaths of Gideon and all of these other folks were actually on him. When he says he's going to dismantle that, she's there, not at the table, and doesn't even know exactly what's going on. She doesn't trust Irving. She doesn't trust anybody. She thinks the Dark Army's out to get her. She thinks that she's this close to being dead. She feels like she's out of the loop, and she is. And then she kind of disappears, and then we move on to the Angela Moss story. We get a little bit of Tyrell Wellick as Martin Wallstrom returns to try and explain to Elliot why he shot him. And this time, Elliot is Mr. Robot, who has slipped into things in the back half of the episode. But without question, probably the two most important things that we saw were developments that we haven't seen, where Elliot was actually talking to the camera. He was talking to us. Instead of through the narrative voice where we see things happening, but he's not actually talking to us, he is. He's having this inner dialogue, but there's what's happening on the screen, there's no mouths moving. Now there's a mouth moving. He's walking down the street, and he's looking at us, and he's talking. That's different. That shows a presence to the Elliot Alderson character, an active level of it. And he seemed more focused in what he's doing. He always moves with a very unpredictable nature because he has dissociative personality disorder and we never know where he's coming from. And he never knows where he's coming from. But here, everything he was doing to try and dismantle and close the back door that was created through the femtocell and all of the issues in last season, everything he was doing made logical sense. Where he went, where he had Darlene take him, what he asked of of Angela. All of this stuff made sense. That's a new one. Sam S. Mail stopped playing games, at least for a week. And, and, you know, I I will hopefully have access to the first six episodes or the next five here in the next few days so I can work through those. I'm not going to spoil them, obviously, for you, but it'll give me a chance to write some reviews ahead of time. And I will know then at least 
whether or not this vision is going to continue. I believe it is. This is a work of fiction. Let's treat it as such. If you want to take it to sci-fi, do that. This show felt more like Black Mirror than it ever has before, and it's to the show's benefit that they went this direction. This was the most fun I've had watching Mr. Robot in a long time, certainly since the sitcom episode, I would say. It was a lot less dark, even though there were still plenty of frowns to be found in Angela's cold expression that was only matched by that kiss sequence where he basically she left Elliot wanting to crawl up into a ball somewhere in a corner. That was hideous. And then we got to this very, very interesting deal about how and then we do get the narration from Elliot talking to us, even though he's not looking at us. He's thinking in his head and he's saying, if you're wondering if that hurt, yeah, it hurt, which is kind of astonishing in its own ways. It shows how much he did care. But then he says, she doesn't love the people that love her. She loves the people who don't. This is her power saver mode. Power saver mode being the name of the episode. And that's relatable to all of us. That's the nice guys finish last philosophy. Even without getting into any detail, specifically, over the last two months in my own life, something that was going phenomenally well, more real than anything that has existed in that space this decade for me, came to a close virtually for no reason at all. And the only thing that I could get from that entire thing was, and it was even stated at one point, that this particular individual, she flat out could not handle the idea. She didn't understand. She didn't know how to be with someone who wanted to be with her, which is shocking if you actually laid eyes on this beauty. But I'd asked her weeks before if she had ever had a good relationship, that obviously she hadn't had the relationship because she and I were on a date. But whether or not she had had a good one. And she said no. And she laid out story after story after story, and they were all bad. And she was a wonderful person. And she would tell me over and over again how much fun this was and how good this was going. And it never went south, folks. Never at all. Just all of a sudden, I've grown used to, I've been grown so used to being alone that I don't know how to handle this. And I I don't know how to be around somebody that wants to be with me. Shockingly enough, that's not the first time I've heard that this year. It never gets easier. That does not... It's interesting because it's like they're trying to soften a blow by saying something like that, even if it's 100% accurate. And honestly, I have no reason not to trust this person. But that didn't make it any easier. It's like you're still exiting, right? You're still going away one way or the other. But in those discussions, the reason why I mention this is because in those discussions with her about these past relationships, she talked about being in relationships for months and doing sort of exorbitant things and ending up in certain situations and things like that. Yet with me, it was very gradual and it moved the way a relationship is supposed to move. It felt real. It felt like you were actually doing things the right way. And if you understand me at all, and I think you do if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you've followed me at all over the past few years via Twitter or through my writing, or if you actually know me, you know what I mean by a normal, gradual build. And you know what I don't mean. She had never had that before. She was treated like trash. And she let that continue to happen in relationship after relationship after relationship. And then she found somebody that actually did treat her the way that she deserved to be treated and she couldn't handle it. Or it gave her nothing to complain about. 
And maybe that's what she needs at this point in her life. But Elliot saying that she doesn't love the ones that love her, she loves the ones who don't, is the nice guy's finished last philosophy. I've never necessarily seen Elliot Alderson as a nice guy, but we saw more of that in him. We saw maybe what existed before that neurotic break, what led to his mental issues. And I found it interesting, and I found it very intriguing, and I found the entire episode very intriguing, and it makes me want to see this show again, and it's become must-see material again as a result. I don't know why I just launched into that diatribe uh, about you know relationships and things like that, but if there's one thing that you know about me at all at this stage, it is that I'm open and I'm willing to talk. The first episode of this podcast laid out my story in pretty painstaking detail, but I did think that it applied in this case because of the aftermath of that kiss sequence where we're headed next i have no idea i don't know what they're going to do next the situation with angela and what she's in what she believes about white rose and even white rose telling one of his associates that what none of them have is this unadulterated focused rage that the mr robot side of elliot has so he is necessary as the person that instituted this plan and made it happen and that there will come a time where he can be disposed of. So the Dark Army versus Elliot and family and friends angle is still very much alive. It's just put on hold right now because there are other things that feel bigger in the grand scheme of stage two. But to Sam Esmail, welcome back, buddy. That was a great episode of television. Mr. Robot, when it's good, is tough to touch. From a directorial standpoint, from a cinematography standpoint, it's outstanding always. Cameras off kilter, you got characters in the corners of screens and way off center. Everything is designed to make you feel uncomfortable and just a little bit off kilter. And it works. But the difficulty with which you had to watch some of the stuff that happened last year and how obtuse it got made it uneven and made it inconsistent. Still good, but inconsistent. This was more like the show that we all fell in love with in season one. This episode had some humor in it. That Josh Groban t-shirt sequence was phenomenal. What a great choice. And it wasn't done with, here's 17 jokes about this shirt. It's just, here's the shirt. You'll see it. You'll laugh at it. Subtle humor, dark humor. It was all there to be found. Dialogue was crisp. Characters behaved in a normal way for an abnormal show. And I came away really excited to see what the rest of season three has in store. And we will be talking about it weekly on this podcast as well as at outkick.com in my written work there. So there's Mr. Robot. Little bit on This Is Us. You know, I feel like these are the reviews that I was born to write. I'm going to say something else right now, which is, you know, I've been thinking about this all week. I have really worked over the last few months but all year but really the last few months it's really kind of come into focus as I've gotten back into the church I've really been working on my faith and my personal relationship with Christ now those of you that are not Christians this is not going to displace you it's just going to explain something from my perspective so I apologize not trying to offend what I have never been able to understand even though I can communicate is the idea of walking down the street and handing out leaflets and witnessing about Jesus. 
It's something that feels so strange to me, which is probably why I should be doing it. You're supposed to get out of your comfort zone. But in these reviews, and, and actually in all of my writing, and you may have noticed this, I'm mentioning religion more and more. It's never going to become the focus of any particular review because I know what you're reading for and what you're not. But I'm unable to avoid putting in a little bit of that into most of these pieces. And I came away a couple of days ago, and I was like, you know, how can I do what I'm supposed to do as a Christian? And the answer came to me. I'm doing it. This might be the way that I'm meant to witness. This might be the way that I'm meant to spread the message as I know it, as I believe it, about what's important to me. Through my writing, while I'm writing about these pop culture shows, I am able to express things not necessarily to change minds or to intimidate or anything else, just to share it in a way in which I can hopefully be an example through what I'm saying that's a positive factor, that's a positive force. Could be wrong, but it's a fun thought. And that brings us to This Is Us, because the emotional component of this show lends itself to these kinds of discussions. Now, not necessarily as much this week, as it has been in the past, but again, fear overtook optimism in general during this episode. And we talked about expectations last week with Randall and Kevin and Cade and everybody, and they still existed this week. But it was also about the mind and the heart diverging and sometimes being each other's worst enemies. That sometimes, take that for data, as David Fisdale would say, isn't the end all, isn't the proper answer, can cause issues, can cause problems. Everything can't be determined on a spreadsheet. Some things you have to feel. Sometimes the eye test actually does count. And of course, most of the time, what's speaking through your heart is your beliefs, is your morality, is your upbringing, your experiences, all of those things that have converged. And for me, a large part of that And an increasing part of that, personally, has been my faith. So that's led me to see things in a different perspective, I would suggest, on this show. But Randall's mind and everything that he had heard, and you know, he wants to be perfect, and we know this, and we've heard about this since the very beginning, and we've seen flashbacks and even things in the present that have led to breakdowns and the like. He's always heard from other people how the SATs would be tough, or his job would be tough, or whatever it would be. And he talks about in this episode about how all of that, you know, I would always hear from people that this or that was going to be tough, and then it never would be. It'd be easy for me. The thing about that is, eventually, those people are going to be right. Just like eventually, I'm going to predict the Super Bowl correctly, or eventually, I'm going to meet the right person, or eventually, I'm going to get stung by a bee. Eventually, it's going to happen. Eventually, they're not wrong. And that's what we got from Randall with Deja, where he thought, you know, this might be another example of something that's easy that everybody said was going to be hard. And then he finds out, no, everybody was right this time. This one's going to be extremely difficult, which is what the social worker tells him as she leaves Deja with him. Even though he was adopted and can relate to her on a way that certainly I couldn't if she were taken into my home, He still doesn't know what she's been through. 
he was extremely lucky. He was taken out of the hospital by two wonderful parents along with two other children. Their birth children raised well and allowed to succeed. Deja's got cigarettes in her bedroom that are for her mom when her mom comes to pick her up. Her mom that's been in and out of jail and this time might be in jail and not coming out for a long period of time. I would suggest if this show's on long enough, she will get out after Deja is completely acclimated to the family, and that will become a major source of drama. I had somebody write to me this week after my review of this week's episode and say, you know, I like this show, but sometimes the mystery feels extremely manipulative. There's a reason for that. It's because it's extremely manipulative. Intentionally so. Because that's why you continue to watch. That's how they addict you. They manipulate your emotions. They make you care. They pull the wool from underneath your eyes. They pull magic tricks. That's why I said the fire that we've seen where Jack is dead, that's probably only half the story. There's more coming here. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but it's coming. And if you look at Kevin and his inability to talk about anything and the fact that he was not with the other two, he was with Sophie making out in the woods, I have a feeling something Kevin did on accident or something he neglected to do that he was asked to do may have led to the fire. Could be completely wrong because we have no idea. But what I can tell you right now is Jack didn't just die in a house fire. There's a reason why that house burned down and it has to do with Kevin, I believe, because he's the one that has not been able to talk. It took Kate a while, but it's taken Kevin longer. And uh, there were reports this week that the Kevin character is going to go down a really dark path this year. And I think that the dark path comes in the form of a bottle, which we saw at the end of the episode right after or with Kate on the phone saying that he's so much like his father. He pops the pills after the injury. It's probably Oxy could be another painkiller. But I think that's where we're headed, a painkiller addiction that's probably going to end up destroying him and Sophie, that's going to wreck him in Hollywood at a time where he's probably going to be as red hot as he's ever been in terms of an acting commodity. And he's going to be left with nothing but his siblings and his mom. And I think it's all going to boil down to a sequence where Kevin breaks down near the end of the year, is crying his eyes out, and finally unburdens himself about his dad. And it's going to have to do with the death and his belief that he caused the death of his father. And the idea of the addictive personality of Jack and the drinking problem with the potential pill addiction for Kevin just works congruently well for the series. Kevin and Kate also had some fun during the episode with Sly Stallone. Stallone did not just come in and do a cameo role, folks. He had several scenes and they were meaningful. Sometimes people are idiots. That's a great line. Sometimes they're not, as Randall found out. When it came to Deja, they were right. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. The key is sometimes. And some the sometimes of life is what makes life worth living. Sometimes it's going to be right. Sometimes you're going to make the right choice. Sometimes you're going to find a $20 bill on the sidewalk. Sometime, for most people it's once, you're going to have that perfect first date. Sometime, your perspective is going to completely change for the best possible reason. Not speaking from firsthand experience, but all the parents that I know would 
tell you that their lives changed from the birth of their first child, and it probably changed with each subsequent child. Sometime, it's going to be good. Sometime, it's not. Sometimes people are idiots. You shouldn't always listen to them. You should listen to your heart, except when you should listen to your mind. And if this is us teaches us anything, the only one constant is that the family needs each other because they can't do it alone. When they're left in their own headspace, that's not a good thing. And when they're reacting based solely on their heart, that's not a good thing. It doesn't ever explicitly go into religion or talk about God. But you can look at some of these characters and wish that maybe they had a bit more of an open relationship and communication with their maker. Because some of what they do and some of how rationally they react, they end up leaning on the family alone. And it just breeds more problems. But it's interesting that sometimes it's the mind and sometimes it's the heart and sometimes it's external factors and sometimes it's what people have said and given advice and things like that. And that's what makes life so exciting is its unpredictability. That's why we love certain television shows so much, even though they're completely implausible. Why are people addicted to scandal or how I meant, uh, or sorry, how to get away with murder? Why are you addicted to those shows? Because anything is possible. We talked about Mr. Robot a few minutes ago, and I said now that they've embraced the fiction aspect of it, now we can have some fun. It's an escape. All bets are off. There are certain things you can't depict in real life, but you can draw. It's why animated shows can go off in so many directions that real-life conceits can't, at least not for less than half a billion dollar budget. It's cool to remember that life is a drawing not a photograph. Some of our best memories are in photographs, but even though I can't draw a lick, my world, I got colored pencils, I got crayons, I got all of it. I got Photoshop in my life, whatever it is. I can create whatever I want for me, positive or negative. It's unpredictable. You can't guess my next episode. Hell, I can't guess my next episode, even though a lot of my job is predicting the next episode of a television show. But this is us. The family is the one constant, even though they bicker a lot and come from different directions. That's the one constant. Better together than we are alone. We survive together. We die alone. And I like to think that at the best moments of this show, in terms of where the characters are, when they're at their best, much of that comes from the unseen force in their lives. Or maybe that's how I apply it to me. An interesting thought, to be sure. Sly was great. I really enjoyed the episode. I've had fun with this season so far. Hope you have as well. A lot more personal info on this podcast than I expected. But hey, this is what happens when you don't sit down with notes. You end up saying things. Hopefully no one is listening here that I've already talked about. And if anybody is, know that what I'm saying was not negative at all. It was done for a purpose of analogizing in the case of the Mr. Robot example. And really, it was done mainly just to indicate how little control we have. We can point to things about ourselves or we can look inward and say, "Eh, you know, it happened because of this. 
It happened because I wasn't this. It happened because I didn't this. But sometimes, there's that word again, it just happened. And the reason won't be known for a long time. And there might be a day when you look back and you laugh and you understand why this went down, why you went through this, why this happened to you. And you know what? You might actually never understand it. But the unpredictability makes it worth getting up every day. Because the one thing that we do know is that after a bad day, the next day is still going to come. And we have no idea what that day is going to bring us. I wrote about this last week and then I did not talk about it. And I was walking out after recording the podcast. And I realized, man, I really wanted to talk about Tom Petty. So I'm going to talk about Tom Petty now. And it it makes a little bit more sense for me because Jason Isbell has played a Tom Petty cover each night a different song on his shows. And the two nights I went to, he did two. One of them was You Wreck Me off the Wildflowers album, which was the subject of the piece that I wrote, the kind of personal tribute I wrote to Petty after his death two weeks ago. So I'm going to take you back to 1997, and I wrote about this, but I think I'll be able to tell it more interestingly, even though a lot of you said some nice things about what I wrote and those that said that uh, it made you cry and things. You know, I certainly didn't want to do that, but it was positive cries. Wildflower is really special to me. 1995, I had the tablature in 1996. I listened to the album a lot, but 1997 in the summer when I took a cross-country trip in an orange VW bus with my closest friend in the world. Instead of going to Senior Beach Week and drinking myself into a stupor for that entire week, that month taught me more about life, taught me more about me than any other experience I've ever had. Earthly, at least. That bus broke down in Atlanta. It overheated in New Orleans and had to be repaired. We're stuck in a very bad part of town all night long. AAA couldn't get there until the morning, so we slept over a very ugly underpass waiting for AAA, one person standing guard, praying we were going to make it through the night. It overheated in Houston. It overheated in Austin. It gave out on us again on the West Coast in Washington State. We had to have it serviced three or four times during the trip in not just the overheating. Overheating, we had to handle ourselves. We had to co-start the thing constantly. All of this. And of course, there's no DVD players. We don't have televisions, except when we're staying with people on various parts of the trip that we know around the country. So music was our guide, and music's always been my guide. It's always been important to me. It's why I go to all these concerts. And Tom Petty's Wildflowers got more airtime on that trip than any other CD. We both loved it. I was a longtime Petty fan, and my friend kind of became one a little bit before the trip, but then he discovered how much he enjoyed the Wildflowers album right around the same time as the trip. You know, we argued, and we didn't talk very much after that trip for months. We would reconcile, but we've never been the same because we were around each other so often that we just irritated the hell out of each other. Couldn't wait to get out of each other's sight, quite frankly. Even the music would become an argument. He would want to play Cake, and I'd heard Motorcade of Generosity quite enough for one year, or Squirrel Nut Zippers, or whatever it might have been at the time, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and a ton of ska, which, yeah, we were into at the time. All of these things. But the one that we never, ever disagreed on was Tom Petty, whether it was the greatest hits album or Wildflowers. We would turn that on, and we'd sing that, and we'd feel better. And a lot of times we'd be listening to Wildflowers while driving, 
around mountains and Rockies or Yellowstone or Yosemite or wherever it might have been. And Tom Petty was on that trip with us. Wildflowers. You don't know how it feels. Time to move on. You wreck me. It's good to be king. To find a friend. A higher place. Honeybee. Cabin in the woods. Or cabin down below, rather. Not talking about the film. All of this was with us. So was American Girl. So was Refugee. So was Breakdown. So was Mary Jane's Last Dance. So was I Won't Back Down, which I just can't ever get enough of. Running down a dream. Learning to fly. Into the great wide open. Even the losers. Don't come around here no more. And I'm doing this off the top of my head, folks. This guy was a giant. But he was with me through the most meaningful trip of my life. A trip that I will never forget for its ups and its downs. Leaving my friend who had gotten out of the car at the gas station. I didn't realize it was three in the morning. He's in the bathroom using it. I drive off. Luckily, there's a red light about half a mile down the road, and I happen to see a dude with no shirt, just wearing shorts, no shoes either, running down the asphalt, and I realize it's my closest friend, and he is very angry. Didn't realize he got out of the van. If I hadn't stopped at that red light, who knows? Going down that mountain, brakes give out, the engine turns off. I think I'm dead. I think we're dead. He's asleep. I'm trying to pop the clutch and get this thing back online. Won't do it. I pray. Tom Petty's playing. You don't know how it feels. We are getting to the point of no return. Luckily, there weren't any big turns at this point, but one was coming, and I needed to slow down because this bus was going over 90. Just on the roll. Finally, clutch popped. Tom Petty right there with me going down the mountain. Tom Petty was with me this summer, even as I went through some stuff. And that thing I talked about earlier, when that thing went up in smoke in no time flat, Wildflowers is where I went. That album was where I went. And then weeks later, Tom Petty passes away. And what I wrote in that piece was that I feel like everybody has a Tom Petty story. Everybody felt like this guy was part of their lives because they can point to memories where they can remember listening to Tom Petty. Most of my friends had the same kind of stories after I wrote this, remembered their own Tom Petty stories. Bruce Springsteen will pass away within the next, you know, however many years. And there will be so many tributes about Bruce Springsteen. I've joked that sports media will shut down because I don't know anybody that's like major in sports media that does not wax poetic about Bruce Springsteen on a constant level. I saw him a few years ago. I like Bruce Springsteen, nowhere near as much as a lot of those folks do. To me, Tom Petty spoke to all of America. He spoke to all people without talking down to them. His storytelling, the way he got his points across, the musical talent, the voice, all of it. There's a reason why Bob Dylan was sad when Tom Petty died, and it's because Tom Petty was kind of a new Dylan in certain respects. He didn't tell the same kind of stories but he told American stories, and his voice, even at times, could remind you of Bob Dylan. Tom Petty dying was saddened, it saddened me even worse because he was here in Nashville 
earlier this year. And I passed up the chance to go as much as I wanted to. I had something else going on that night, and I thought, you know, I'll get one more chance at least to go see him. I'm definitely going to go next time because I never had to that point. What I had to do, I couldn't get out of. Another one of those situations where wish you could have it back. I would have found a way because I'm never going to get to see Tom Petty live. And that's an experience that I wish I could have had. But Tom Petty was such a giant. His pop culture influence was Sopranos episode with Edie Falco in a key role where American Girl was playing. Just wouldn't have had half the impact without it, without American Girl. Tom Petty was used in movies. Obviously, she's the one, one of the most underrated, not the film, but Walls, which he did for that. He did the entire album. Walls is a phenomenal song. I think it's overlooked by a lot of people. It came out after the Greatest Hits album and long after Wildflowers, too, by a few years. Walls is fantastic. Remember when he did the Super Bowl? How everybody talks about, oh, it's a bunch of old white guys doing these performances, at least until they started using Beyonce and uh, some of those folks, Katy Perry. I don't recall anybody really saying anything bad about Tom Petty. Tom Petty, as uh, Stephen Hyden of Up Rocks, who used to write for Grantland, said, reviewing Tom Petty is like reviewing concrete or tap water. It's always going to be there, and it's always going to be consistent. Like, did Tom Petty deliver the best Super Bowl performance in history? No. And most people would say Prince, or maybe a few would even say Beyonce. Tom Petty just went out there and killed it, because that's what he does. He's a pro. Even the Defiant Ones, HBO's documentary about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine that came out this summer. Tom Petty in that, and his situation with Stevie Nicks, and all of that story that I had never heard just reminded me how much I liked Tom Petty. Not necessarily because of what he was saying, because, yeah, he was difficult at times. I remember the incident that happened with Pearl Jam when they were out at Red Rocks. And there was a situation where Tom Petty was playing, and so was Pearl Jam nearby, and there was like a noise complaint or whatever, and Eddie Vedder went on stage and kind of complained about Tom Petty. Tom Petty was a musician, which means he was high maintenance. I don't know if he was always high maintenance, but he certainly had his times. We all do. Just like when I wrote about Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan could have trouble. He and Tony Schiavone didn't get along for a long time. He and Lee Marshall didn't get along. He thought he was right most of the time because he was. But Tom Petty had his faults. But his music and his art just aren't going to go away. They're going to be there forever. We lost Tom Petty on earth, but we didn't lose Tom Petty. I listened to Tom Petty leaving the Jason Isbell show on Wednesday, as a matter of fact. And I listened to him two or three days before that. And I'll probably listen to him in the next couple of days. I can always go back to it. The music's timeless. The other thing that I wanted to say about Petty is, whether you're listening to Full Moon Fever or Wildflowers or something off the Greatest Hits album or whatever it might be, There are easily times where even smart people can forget what album certain songs are off of because they all feel both antique and fresh off the line. They feel new and they feel vintage all at the same time. That is talent. Very few people can pull that off. Tom Petty was always Tom Petty. He could do rock. He could do country. He could do folk. 
He took videos and music videos into a completely different space. Remember Mary Jane's Last Dance? Remember Into the Great Wide Open in particular? He never even really tried to reinvent himself as a musician. He just kept being Tom Petty, and he kept playing with the Heartbreakers. And he did it better than I would imagine anybody could have foreseen. Dude was a legend, an icon, and luckily we have so much material that will sit there and wait for us forever, that will always be there. And I will always point back to 97. I will always point back to driving to West Point, where one of mine and my friend's friends was there for the first week. And they put him, he was going to West Point the next day. So this would be the last time to see him for a long time as he was going in to be a cadet and he was going to swim on the uh, Army team. And they had had them in a hotel in Newark, New Jersey. And we met him there in the bus. And we hung out with him and a few of the other people that were going to become cadets the next day who we didn't know at all. We didn't sleep at all that night despite the fact that we were exhausted. Listened to a lot of music that night. And I can tell you Tom Petty was part of that. Part of everything. Past and present. I'm pointing back to 97 and then 20 years later, after the strangest breakup I've ever been a part of, one that because it came from nowhere and felt so unnecessary still is something that I have not been able to get over. Petty's helped me through it. I'm sure he's helped you through some stuff, and I'm sure he's been there for some high points. So he may be gone, but that dude is not gone. He will never be gone. So this has been more of an introspective podcast than some that we've had, certainly. I wanted to talk about a lot more shows. I wanted to talk about a lot more things this week. I know we need to rapid fire a little bit more so we can move around and talk about a lot of these things. Had somebody email me this week wanting to talk about The Flash and Supergirl and all of the shows on the CW, Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow, and get my opinion on those compared to the Netflix shows. We'll save that for next week. I'll tell you more about that Beck album next week and probably still be talking about the Courtney Barnett Kurt Vile album. I become 39 years old on Tuesday. 39. And I look at the last year of my life. And I want to leave you with this. I have made so many changes. All of them blessings from God. All of them given to me by God. Enabled by God. I've lost now over 104 pounds since the end of February. I'm at basically 265 pounds right now. I've had to buy clothes and rebuy clothes. The clothes that I bought three months ago no longer fit. Donated some of those to charity. Need to donate more, as a matter of fact. I moved to Nashville. I've got contact lenses. Some of the time, not all the time, but some of the time. My diet has completely changed. My workout regimen is relentless. My job and the security provided there and the freedom and just the expansion of what I'm doing with Clay in print and on the web 
All of these things have been huge changes, and certainly growing closer to Christ, rediscovering that, breaking out that Bible every day and reading something from it, praying in the middle of the day as opposed to just at night in the same stock fashion every time, going to church. All of these things have been gigantic changes for me. And, you know, you think about Tom Petty, you think about, I go back and think about the memories of high school, and then you remember your first girlfriend, and you remember these relationships that you've had and these friendships you've cultivated and these people that you've encountered along the way. You never know if the person that you meet is somebody that's going to be in your life for five minutes or 50 years. Again, the unpredictability of life that makes it worth living, the imperfection of life that makes it exhilarating and at times incredibly frustrating. I've spent so much time over the past eight or nine months thinking about this one thing that continues to elude me. What I've started to realize over these past few months in particular is that this year was for me. It was for me to become who I am supposed to be. Mentally, physically, all of these things. This transformation is for a purpose. That other thing, it's out there. But you think about This Is Us, and you think about that kiss scene with Angela and Elliot, And you think about these memories that this music may have done, or you went to this concert and this happened and all of these kinds of things. And you think about your life. And even though this may sound completely irrelevant, this podcast has been a little bit different than the others. And I appreciate you taking this journey with me if you're still with me. I just feel blessed with all of the things going on in the world. Every time you go to Twitter, you can, there's a reason to be completely angry. There's a reason to be envious There's a reason to laugh. It's all there. And I've kind of shut it off a little bit more as of late. And interestingly enough, as I've cut what I say in about half in terms of just the quantity of tweets, I've picked up more followers at a rapid rate. Less is more, which I've said many times on this podcast about various shows and episode lengths and things like that. I've shut off some of the screens, and I'm not going to become somebody that's an advocate for that. But for me... It's just kind of reminded me of things that are completely within my control. Am I jealous of colleagues with more money and beautiful wives and good-looking children and all of that, that life? Sure. But I'm blessed. This year has been incredible. A lot of you people listening to this right now didn't even know who I was a year ago. Two months before my 38th birthday... I was thinking about getting out of media completely because I felt like, you know, I'm apparently not in the right place because nothing has broken my way. Relative and relating back to earlier in this podcast, sometimes it is going to break your way. I was at a wedding five days ago, friend of mine from college, haven't really lost touch with him, but he's become incredibly busy. And he got married to someone who I'd never laid eyes on before seeing her walk down the aisle and get married to my buddy. This guy was a bigger sports fan than me. He was in it to win it, man. He did an internship at a radio station just like I did. He and I hosted a podcast together about sports at Western Kentucky University. We hosted the regular weekly radio show for the Hilltoppers. We did television. We did it all, man. Then he became an information director, a sports information director at WKU. Wanted to be an AD. Life was all set out for him. 
then all of a sudden he tells me, you know, I've left that job and I've taken another job and it's sort of in a leadership opportunity for young kids, kind of setting up camps and resources and things like that. Not overtly religious, but there seemed to be some kind of a spiritual connection behind some of it because being a leader and being a mentor, it's hard not to be an example, even if you don't have a hymnal in front of you all the time. And this guy was a good Christian and is a better Christian now. And being at that worship service that was a wedding, but you know, a hymn was sung, there was definitely a palpable feeling that we were not alone in that room in terms of everybody that was attending the wedding. We were not alone in that room, in that space. Watching him, it just reminds you again that there, we outnumber them. The good still outweighs the bad. That's why when people don't understand and think this is us is cheesy, I say, thank God something like this is us exists because we've got so much of the deuce out there. I'll tell you, I'm writing about the deuce. Deuce is really hard to watch, and it's become harder to watch because of the changes in my life and the things that that I want to do. It's great television, and I feel like I can speak positives out of those negatives, but it is a really tough watch. I'm finding myself less drawn to things that make me feel lonely or alienated. I'm a person that does well on my own but likes to be around people, but I'm blessed, and I'm blessed that you've chosen to sample this podcast, whether for the first time or have been with me since the beginning. I'm blessed that you care enough to read what I write, whether it's about unfair treatment from the media, once in a blue moon, or whether or not it's a tribute to Bobby the Brain Heenan, or whether or not it's a review of The Leftovers. Whatever it might be that has brought you into my space, even from whatever distance you're listening from, I just want to thank you for being a part of this audience, for supporting me and supporting us and and what we're trying to do. And I want to thank Clay because he allows me to be me. He allows me to disagree, to not have to toe the line. There is no line. I can just be me. And for a long time, that wasn't a good thing because I wasn't happy with me. But now that I've realized that there are bigger things in this life than me, I've suddenly become much happier with myself. So before I ramble, again, thank you. We haven't touched on a lot of shows this week, but we touched on the big ones. Mr. Robot, definitely need to start watching that again if you jumped off that bandwagon. This Is Us has been a lot of fun, certainly. And Tom Petty deserved more of a tribute than I failed to give him last week. And if you read that piece and you liked it, thank you for saying so, first of all. Anybody that writes me and says something nice like that, if I don't write to you, believe me, I saw it. I try to write to everybody, but sometimes I'm just bad about it. Don't feel like it at that moment, and then we'll just forget about the fact that I did not write back to you. I'm sorry about that, quite frankly. I need to be better with it. I need to be thankful. I need to be grateful. I need not to take things for granted. If there's anything that you can hopefully take from me, it's that I'm going to do my best to be honest, and I'm going to do my best to be me in all things, for better or for worse. Some of, some of the things that are me are going to turn you off. Some of you, you know, some of the discussion that's happened today, it's probably turned you off. And for that, I apologize. But for those that it didn't turn off, you know what you're in for. There's be a lot of weeks where we're going to do nothing but have fun. For some reason, I just felt like doing it a little bit different this week. I turned 39 again on Tuesday. 
Wow. 38 was quite a year. I know what happened last November certainly polarized a lot of folks, me included. I know this year has taken a beating in the press and a beating on social media and a beating in every public square. But the year that I've had from last October to this October, with all the ups and downs, especially the relationships, my sister-in-law passing away, who I unfortunately was not very close to, and that's a failing on my part, all of the changes that I've gone through, I'm just thankful. And I'll talk to you next week. For Outkick the Culture, I'm Jason Martin. Be good to each other. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.